Welcome to View from the C-Suite, where we have candid conversations with female executives about key business challenges, career advice, and more. This series is brought to you by Wong Duty, the Global Experience and Design Unit for Infosys. I'm Skylar Matson, your host and president of Wong Duty. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to our global audience. Welcome to the 13th episode of View from the C-Suite, Women Leaders in Conversation. I'm Skylar Matson, president of Wong Duty, the global creative agency for Infosys. Today is a very special episode, and not only because my guest is so extraordinary, but because the topic itself seems to be commanding every headline I read across business, technology, and marketing trades. We're talking about virtual worlds and the future of connecting with customers in game-based environments that are immersive and engaging and put them at the center in control of their own experiences. Now, like many of you, I click on a lot of these articles that pop into my inbox on the topic, uh, yet, yet I still don't feel like I have a complete grasp on it. Uh, what I do know is that businesses have always had the need to connect with customers where they are showing up and to engage with them in ways that are exciting, helpful, and memorable. And where they're showing up today is in virtual worlds. Before I introduce my guests, I want to share three statistics that I recently read on Gartner that I found to be pretty staggering. The first is that each month, 400 million people access virtual worlds. That's greater than the population of the U.S. Uh, the second is that 74% of adults are either regularly visiting virtual worlds or they're considering doing so soon. And their number one reason is because they want to experience things that they can't in the physical world. And finally, by 2026, in four short years, it's estimated that people will spend an hour or more a day in virtual worlds, and that 30% of businesses will have their products or services ready for them. So the time is now for business to start paying attention. And I am so grateful to have an expert and innovator in the field with us today to help us explore the exciting opportunity ahead. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Rafaela Camera, the head of brands for Epic Games, Unreal Engine, the world's most open and advanced 3D creation tool. In her role, she directs strategic partnerships with brands and consumer technology partners to deliver meaningful engagement within virtual worlds. Rafaela has spoken at conferences such as CES, Can Lions, South by Southwest, and Qualcomm's Snapdragon Summit. She's been published in dozens of publications, including Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and VentureBeat, and has won more awards than I have time to name on this show. Rafaela, it is such an honor to welcome you and have you here today. Thank you so much. It's a wonderful way to start uh, to start the day, to hear all these beautiful things. Thank you. Thank you. Very happy to be here. Uh, very happy that you chose to have myself and Epic Games really representing. Thank you. So I want to start by setting the stage for people who may be newer to the topic. Can you define virtual worlds for us? Yeah, look, an exact definition is a little bit difficult, but I think that there are some elements that are common that maybe we can talk about. The first is certainly interactivity. 
were used on the web on 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 two two D type of flat environments. Where used to be a little bit more passive. We scroll, we watch, we click, maybe we type, but we don't do much more than that. In virtual worlds, we're really interacting with objects. We're interacting with environments. We're also interacting with each other in the form of virtual beings, avatars. Um, the second is certainly, at least for us, uh, the element of social interactivity. Uh, there is a very big difference between the way that we interact, again, on you know social media websites or on the web, and the way that we interact with each other in, in virtual worlds. We we'll really go there to meet and to be uh, to interact with each other while we're being entertained or doing something. We might be going to explore something that does not exist in real life or to watch a concert or to watch movies sometimes, to walk through a virtual rendition of a museum. And while we're doing that, we're really meeting our friends. We're talking to them about our day. We are, it's a little bit like being out and about, um, you know, in, in, the, in the physical world, but now we're doing it in a virtual environment. The third thing that I would like to say is that um, it's important not to fall in the rabbit hole of thinking that virtual world equals VR. And that's not the case. Uh, you can access them in different ways. You can access them uh, on the web mobile, gaming consoles, AR, VR, there is certainly a different level of immersion depending on the platform and the device that you're using with VR certainly being the most uh, immersive of them all. Uh, but, and this will take me to the last point, which is really gaming and gaming technology. They're really all based in this um, idea of interacting a little bit like you would uh, in a game environment. In fact, you often hear uh, virtual worlds being equated or discussed um, with uh, gaming and, and gaming properties. And there is a reason for that. At the core of everything that is a virtual world, there is 3D, 3D, 3D technology, and specifically real-time 3D. Everything that you see or everyone that you see is being represented in a 3D fashion. Uh, and, and this type of interactivity and technology has been existed now for almost 30 years. It comes from games and gaming. If you think about a game, a game is built in 3D. And um, because the, the scene, the next scene is, is not already set, it depends on what you're doing in the game, what action you're taking, who else is doing something you have to render that next scene in 3D in real time. It cannot be pre-produced. So everything that is a virtual world really comes or is built on top of gaming technology or game engines. And that's why you hear so much uh, the... Um, uh, the, the the parallelism between games or gaming technology and virtual worlds. The level of interactivity, the way that you interact with each other is similar. The technology where everything is built is the same. And Unreal Engine in that case is in fact a, a, a game engine. Wow, <laughs> there was a lot there. Thank you for setting the stage. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of Epic Games. I certainly have because Fortnite is major in my house. But tell us more about Unreal Engine and how that is enabling these game-based environments. Yeah, maybe let, let me explain a little bit uh, Epic Games. 
there is a general understanding of Epic Games, but I think sometimes people only think of a part of what we do and not all of it. First off, I always like to remind everyone that we've been around a little bit longer than most might remember. It's 31 years. And certainly we start as a, a gaming company, but we have a few different sides uh, to what we do, which makes us very unique. We really are able to provide um, an ecosystem of solutions uh, for the entire, for everything that is that is a virtual world. On one side, we have the technology and the tools to create high fidelity, and I underscore high fidelity, so the, the, mo the closest to reality, assets and experiences. So Unreal Engine, at the core of it all, is really uh, was created in the mid-90s. We actually had created a game called Unreal, and obviously each game had an engine that ran it. And then at that time, we decided that instead of creating an engine every time, we could just keep on uh, developing just one engine and then reuse it for all the other games that we were going to build, which is still what we do. And it's the same engine that we provide to any creator that could be a, singul a singular person or it could be a brand to build their own activities on top of that. We also have Twinmotion that is uh, uh, a way to import CAD models and quickly uh, create high fidelity environments or buildings. And then we also have a MetaHuman Creator to create in sometimes less than an hour, a hyper-realistic uh, virtual uh, being a human. Together with that, we have a variety of services. And also I would like to say a number of libraries. So we have five different libraries of high fidelity assets. What does that mean? That if you're going to create a, an environment or an experience, you don't have to start from scratch and build each single element that is going to be in that scene. You can actually download a lot of those elements from the natural environments to some of the objects that might need to be in that specific room uh, to uh, possibly branded elements themselves that you might want to add. Um, so those are some of the things that we have and we provide. In addition to that, we certainly have um, uh, the audiences and the social experiences or the games with Fortnite, Rocket League, uh, Fall Guys, more than 500 million players and more than... And an older stat was 4.7 billion connections between players. And I do like to use that stat to explain the level of interactivity and the level of participation that there is on the part of the players. Okay, I think I've got a good foundation here. Epic Games, Unreal Engine, the assets that are available for people creating these worlds. Now I want to think about business. How can businesses interact with their customers in these worlds? How can they make those interactions entertaining and immersive? Yeah, you know, one way that I sometimes like to simplify it, at least maybe in my head, is it's it's a little bit different from what we got used to uh, looking at ads on TV or in newspapers, magazines, or even on the web. Uh, and it's a little bit more similar to almost experiential marketing. If, you're think, if you go back and think about, well, how do you connect with somebody who's walking down the street or goes to a baseball game or does something else or goes to a concert? 
Well, you have to figure out how to place your elements, your products, your brand, your messages in a way that doesn't disrupt them, but gives them something more and makes them want to interact or to get that message, maybe even you know, in a subliminal sort of way. And the same thing has to happen in these worlds. It's important to remember the level of entertainment, uh, social entertainment that happens in these worlds. Uh, players or users go because they want to meet their friends. They want to have fun. They want to play. They want to watch. They want to experience. They want to learn something new. So placing an ad, a straight up ad in front of them is not going to work. They're not. It's not going to be successful and possibly it is actually going to be rejected. So it's important to understand who the audience is, why they're there and what they're doing and then give them an experience that is authentic to them and also to the environment that they're in or what they're doing in that specific environment. Another thing that's important to remember that these are still human beings, they're not just virtual beings, and um, and there is a correlation between what they do in, in, in the physical world and what they do in the, in the virtual world. So remembering that they have a, an element of um, self-identity, even digital self-identity, and trying to cater to that um, is important. And recognizing them as, as individuals in that sense, I think is very important. I would, I would say those are two of the major things. And once you create these experiences, you sort of have to let go because your customers are in the world and they're going to react in the human way that they will and take it in the direction that they want. When you partner with brands, have you found that it's difficult for CMOs to sort of let go of some of this brand control? I think uh, I think it depends on the CMO and I think it depends on the, on the brand uh, also. I think some brands have a, a tighter grip on their messaging and their positioning uh, for for more obvious reasons, maybe because they are trying to uh, create an element of, of, of scarcity, maybe, or there is a different way of approaching consumers. But some understand that very well. Uh, I've heard some CMOs say that, you know, by now trying to still um, I've heard I've heard one say, yeah, we're really good at putting pretty pictures out on social media. We know exactly how to do that, but we need to figure out how to create the right branded elements and put them in the hands of uh, of users directly, of players, of creators, so that they can go and create experiences around our elements, around our maybe digital the digital twins of our products, and let them. Um, create around it, possibly maybe showing them the way you're ready to start, but letting, letting them go with it. It's a difficult uh, it's a difficult thing to do. It requires uh, giving up control. Um, but I think that um, some of them are, are more than willing to start to do it. And we're certainly trying to help doing that. When I was talking about libraries before and libraries of assets, one of the things we're trying to do is, uh, you know, let brands create if they want and distribute their official 
branded elements or branded products, digital branded products uh, through our libraries so that they can um, they can put them out uh, with a community of creators and let them uh, build meaningful experiences around them. Let's talk about when it goes really well. Like what's one of the most successful brand activations you've had? Well, I think if we stay, for example, in the fashion apparel space, there are two or three that come to mind. One is Balenciaga, certainly. Uh, Balenciaga, back in, I want to say, in 2021, uh, decided to launch their fall collection in a very different way. And they launched it in a in a game. Uh, they created a game environment, and the models, which by the way were real models that were scanned, um, they were they were wearing um, their digital clothing. So the collection was shown digitally. In addition to that, they then extended it, and some of those outfits were created and added to Fortnite, where players could buy them and use them as skins. Uh, they created a, um, an environment in Fortnite Creative, the UGC side of, of Fortnite, where players could go and visit the stores and do a variety of things. They also then added them to 3D billboards that were placed in four major cities across the world. And finally, some of the same items from the collection were then for sale physically uh, in store and online. Um, we just launched... Um, uh, Polo uh, with Ralph Lauren. Similarly, it's a digital collection. So there is a digital collection uh, within Fortnite that also then inspires some physical um, items for sale uh, in store. And then lastly, maybe slightly different, uh, Timberland. What Timberland decided to do well, stepping back, every year what they do is they really uh, go back to the community of creators and they have them help uh, design new prototypes of their boots physically. And this year they decided to extend that to the virtual environment. So there were also virtual boots that were created by designers, uh, designers all across the world. And then those boots were used in Fortnite in a gameplay that they created, uh, but also in store through AR, being able to view uh, the different the different boots in, in AR, either in store or at home. Wow. When you think about taking a product and creating it both physically and digitally, it makes me think that you are really making your product a lot more accessible. And I have read that that's one of the benefits of, of virtual worlds. Are they more accessible? Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, I would say that there is also an additional element to consider. Um, often we tend to think only about the, 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 the last part of the, of the life cycle of a product, which is when I put it in front of a consumer. And so either, either having them interact with the product or possibly buy the product. But there is everything else that happens before. So when you're thinking about brands, what they're asking for really is how can we modernize our entire life cycle from original design? So how can I design my products directly in 3D that will help me do it faster? It will help me uh, collaborate directly with designers that might be across the world. It helps me uh, go faster in iterating with other people within the company. 
How can I do R&D even that way? How can I create virtual samples so that I don't have to go and create each single sample physically, uh, reducing the cost, reducing, you know, making it more sustainable, but also doing it faster. I don't have to ship them and wait to see, do they like it, do they not? I'm not saying that the physical, that everything that is physical is going to disappear, but certainly certain things um, can, can go away. Maybe it's just being able to see it in, in different colors or in different ways. All the way to then, how do I showcase that collection to um, to retailers? So if I have to have a B2B showroom, why don't I do it directly in a, in a virtual type of showroom and sell the collection that way? Something that became very prominent during the, the 2020 uh, saga. And then moving forward to anything that has to do with marketing. So how do I, how do I market? How do I give uh, more detail and life to products, even on a regular.com by showing them in um, by showing them in 3D, showing them virtually, being able to flip them around, see them, see the stitches, um, showing showing them in a um, virtual configurator, maybe of some kind, so you can see how they look and how they might look differently, all the way out to then how do I increase my revenue, either by selling more of the physical item or maybe by having a line or an additional line that is virtual so I can also sell the, the virtual or the digital twin of that specific product. Wow, I think the social entertainment and the making your brand fun is very top of mind, but taking it a step further and actually thinking about operational efficiencies and modernizing the product life cycle is like yet another yeah. benefit. It's, yeah. it's amazing to think about. When I think about accessibility, the next thing I go to is inclusivity. And it seems like virtual worlds would by nature be more inclusive. I'm wondering specifically how women are finding a voice in this space, either in it or behind the scenes creating them, um, much like your role. Yeah, look, if, um, if, if we're thinking about um, uh, gaming worlds, certainly there are a lot of women that are gamers. Uh, females, women, um, much more than uh, than we might expect sometimes, and certainly as more um, uh, different types, different different gameplays are are being added or will keep on being added that maybe are a little bit different from what we have right now, that maybe are a little bit more, uh, you know, maybe related more to music or to something that's that's a, a little bit um, uh, lighter in that sense. Uh, I think we will see the audience expand even more. Um, not only, not not only women or or, or the the female side of the equation, but maybe older or or quite a bit older. I think it will keep on expanding, and uh, as uh, as gameplays become easier, also I think that even the people that might be a little bit scared of it right now and say, "Oh, I've never played before. I don't know how to do it," uh, that will happen less and less. Uh, on the, as far as uh, within the industry, there are actually a lot of women that work in this sector, particularly when you think about AR, VR, XR, everything related to that, there is a very, very strong community. Um, and I think partly is the doing of us women that are in the sector. We, for some reason, created a strong community from the beginning. I know uh, we meet if we want once a week, all the time still. We have some Zoom calls that we've had for three, four years. Uh, there is a Women in XR fund uh, just to try to promote and help uh, women-led companies. 
And in general, I think that, um, you know, anything that is, um, anything that is new that is emerging technology and in this case when you look at when you look at virtual worlds when you look at xr it really is not it's a little bit more different from let's say ai or quantum computing it has elements of creativity it has elements of art uh certainly it has elements of technology and elements of business so it's a little bit more it requires a, a more 360 type of view of the world, a more 360 type of experience or sensi sensibility. And I find that women are possibly a little bit more rounded in the way that they see the world. So I think in that sense, it helps us and it helps the industry in bringing our viewpoint and our creativity to it. I can see that. I mean, when you were saying that these are virtual worlds, but these are real humans, who are coming into the virtual world and they have emotions and feelings and fears that have to be taken into account as they interact with all of the various assets that are coming their way. And I think that uh, women are especially in tune to considering all of the emotions that might come with a certain activation or experience. And it's really exciting to know that we're there and we're a part of this. Yeah, and also think about it. When you go into a world, you want to present yourself the way that you feel and the way that you want to, you know, present yourself at that specific time or for that specific group or for that specific, you know, environment. And that naturally leads to fashion, beauty, accessories, anything that has to do with um, your your own self and sense, sense of identity and we are pretty good at that. Uh, so that's certainly one of the additional parts where we're particularly good. So I can't help but wonder as more and more people are going to access virtual worlds and it's going to become our norm for how we interact with people. Are there things that we need to do to protect ourselves? Uh, well, I would say that just like in any other type of digital environment, it is important to respect privacy. It is important certainly to be smart as, as general users uh, and not be passive uh, and to, to remember uh, you know, where we want to be and what type of information we want to, to give or give up. Uh, at the same time, it's the role of the companies also to have a, a high bar uh, when it comes to ethical standards and privacy uh, and what type of information they collect or they don't collect and also what type of um, environments or experiences they decide to uh, place in front of the users and the players. And then for everything else, certainly it's a much larger topic. It's, it's, a, it's really a, a, a larger social topic that goes from families to education to everything else. But for us, we are a privacy first company. Uh, we collect uh, just the most basic information and we don't share anything. That makes me feel better about the hours my children are spending in Fortnite. So thank you for that. I do want to pop into some audience questions because I see some, some really good ones starting to populate. But I do want to ask you just a couple of career questions. Like, What got you into this industry and what keeps you here? Uh, well, I don't think I, I got to this industry with a specific plan to be in, in this industry. I come from music. I used to be a classical pianist. 
I came to the States, to LA, with a scholarship for my master's in piano performance. Um, uh, and then I also did my MBA. For me, it was important to find a career that still allowed me to have elements of creativity. And creativity doesn't have to be art, doesn't have to be music, doesn't have to be, uh, you know, uh, painting something or designing something. But creativity for me is also coming up with a new solution, uh, trying to take the different elements and finding something that that works for people. So the digital environment was always very interesting for me in that sense, uh, because it allowed me to, to go from one side to the other um, and to use the different parts of my brain. And that's how I chose it. And then over time, obviously, depending on what the, the new technology was, I, I moved with that. And I started in AR in 2010, a long time ago. Uh, so I saw it go up and down and, and everywhere. And here we are. Wow. So on this up and down and everywhere, was there ever like a particular risk you took that ended up paying off or maybe not? Uh I think the biggest risk I took, even though at the time I didn't see it as a risk, was really uh, just coming coming over to the States. Uh, it was not very easy to come to LA with uh, by myself, without knowing anyone, with a very, uh, certainly with a full scholarship, yes, but with a very small budget. So that was much, much harder than, than, than I thought it was. And I was... Um, ignorant about all the risks and that's sometimes a great way to go about doing things <laughs> I think ignorance is uh you know uh protects you and pushes you forward sometimes because you don't know what you're doing uh so in that sense I think that was probably the biggest risk that I took uh, in addition to that I would just say that um technology and certainly anything that is emerging is always risky and it's constantly risky uh, because there is no, on one side, it's it's fun because it's creative. On the other side, it's stressful because it's because you don't know what the answer is because the market is not created yet. So it's easy to see why when there are market downturns, um, anything that's emerging that does not quite have an exact way of monetizing things yet uh, takes a hit. And with that, the people who work in it. Interesting. What do you wish you knew when you were 30 that you now know? I'll let you know when I turn 30. <laughs> I ask that question every time. That's the best answer I've ever gotten. No, I'm, I'm not sure it was exactly when I was 30. But in general, I think at the beginning of my career, I thought that the way to... Um, I thought the way the way to progress was to emulate the people who were successful, and though those were mostly men. So I think I tried to mimic them and the way that they reacted or they did things, uh, and that didn't work too well. <laughs> um, it didn't work for them, and it didn't really work for me either because I wasn't I wasn't really being myself anymore. So over time, I learned to. Uh, instead, go back and, and bring my own uniqueness that is, you know, is is different, and and try to find a way to to still be understood and push things forward in a different way. The only person you can truly be is yourself, and I know that we talk a lot about authentic leadership uh, on this series, and um, I I've experienced that too, like you you learn from the people you see and that's why it's so important that there are more women in leadership so that Absolutely. the women coming up behind us can see 
how women lead and how they uniquely lead based on who they are. Absolutely, absolutely right. And we have a different way of communicating and bringing people together or not. Um, And it's important to have those elements uh, as well. Otherwise, it's a very one-sided type of um, communication that doesn't lead to the results that uh, the market wants at the end of the day. Yeah. Okay. These, these questions are populating. We could kind of just get into this whole career leadership thing, but we're going to get back to business. There's a great question that I want to start with from Kinley LaGrange. What do you think is the lowest bar opportunity for brands to dip their toes into this space in an impactful way? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of brands watching going, I want to get in, but how can I, how can I try it or without fully (laughs) committing or doing something really expensive? Yeah. So, for example, one of the things that we're doing, um, I'll just take an example uh, on the on the Fortnite side. Um, we have two sides, uh, two sides of the game. We have Fortnite Battle Royale, where you go and you battle and you do things. I'll just I'll just make it simple that way for for everyone. On the other, there is something we call Fortnite Creative. That's really the UGC uh, side of, of Fortnite, where you can go, you can create your own experience, you can create your own game or with, with different gameplays and different things and different elements. It's important to note that almost 50% of the time that, that players spend in Fortnite, they spend in Fortnite Creative. So anyone, uh, even a regular play, player can do that. Um, it's important to understand how uh, players interact and what they like to do in these environments. So one way to, to dip your toes would be to find an agency that is good at, at creating uh, these experiences and just build one. You don't even have to uh, promote it so much, not the first one. It can be more like a, a test and learn for you and then see what uh, what users respond to and then start building from there. That is if you want to do marketing or just, just want to, to get in the gaming world. If not, certainly very simply, you can even just start adding uh, 3D viewers to your dot coms and start having those 3D elements uh, for your for your products. It seems like it's a natural environment to test and learn because you could put something in, see in real time how people are interacting and adjust and improve based on those interactions. This is going to be such a hard question to answer, but I'm going to throw it out anyway. It's from your friend, Todd Rathbone, and he's asking if there's a minimum amount of time and money that a brand should consider uh, to even start. Oh, it depends on what a brand wants to do. Um, again, some are are really thinking about creating entire digital factories and changing the way that they work from the beginning to the end. Uh, you can, as you can imagine, that's a pretty big under, undertaking uh, that certainly you need to do in phases, uh, but it includes pretty much all the different parts of the company. If you're Talking instead only about creating an experience in a gaming in a gaming environment, it doesn't have to require that much money or that much time. Again, there are lots of even uh, smaller shops, uh, players even that are have become good at creating things for for brands um, that you can collaborate with or that you can work with to to create these kind of things. And does not require you can do it in you know in two three months for for a small budget. Okay. 
I hope you like that, Todd. <laughs> this is a really great question from Renee Kwan. I'm so glad you asked this, Renee. Uh, you mentioned the life cycle of a product and collaborating with designers across the world. Have you seen any examples where differently abled people were brought to contribute to the design process because the technology made it possible to include them? Yes, I don't have any exact examples. I know that there were some in the past. I don't remember, and I don't want to make a mistake and mention the, the wrong thing. But yes, uh, that is happening. And I would also flip it the other way. Um, the metahumans that we create, for example, I know that they were starting to be used to teach sign language, for example, and trying to do things that way. So the answer is yes. Unfortunately, I don't remember the, the exact examples, but I can try to pull them up. Okay, thank you. Jake Perry, is there a space for smaller brands to advertise in Fortnite or is it meant for already established brands? No, and as I was saying, it's important. So listen, we have our game, which is Battle Royale, and then we have Fortnite Creative. Our game, think of it, it's, it's basically our show it's our book we write the chapters we come out with a new chapter every once in a while so it's difficult to do a brand integration in that in in that pre-written story it might fit or it might not um you wouldn't expect to see a, a brand a big brand integration every time you know when you're watching a tv show right you might see small elements but the story has to be the story and 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 the players have to you know have to want to continue with that so because that is so complicated and that is really our property that's why we're spending so much time on fortnite uh, uh on fortnite creative and that's where you can create whatever you want you can be just one singular person who wants to create a game for himself or herself and the friends or uh, it can be a brand that wants to create a persistent experience a, almost like a home uh, where they can have different types of uh, different types of interactions. They can have a store. They can have events happening every once in a while, and that is completely up to you. So, speaking of different types of interactions, I'm thinking of new spaces, new environments. Kelly has an excellent question here about how virtual worlds will evolve. Maybe they will be a part of our hybrid work environments do you see an evolution into that space yeah and it's it's also important to remember i there is not i don't believe there is going to be that big of a distinction well there is already not anymore between between physical and virtual certainly they're different but if you think about it it's still your group of friends that either you meet physically uh wherever you go or you meet in a virtual environment because you know, kids will say, hey, okay, I'll, I'll I'll see you at five in Fortnite or Roblox or wherever. And they meet and they talk and they, and they do different things together. So it's just an extension of um, uh, your social web and, and how you connect with people. Uh, you might connect looking as an avatar or you might collect and connect, uh, you know, connect as yourself. With that, it's only natural that more and more will happen in the in the in the work environment. I think one thing that's a little bit more difficult in a work environment is being able to read expressions and reactions is incredibly important when you're having a conversation with somebody. 
uh, for work. And that is still a little bit difficult to do. It's difficult to do in VR. It's still difficult to do in, you know, in, in other ways. Uh, so until that is solved or until we can have true uh, live holograms and they're easy to do, part of that collaboration will be difficult. However, being able to uh, increase your productivity because maybe you can have multiple screens in front of you by wearing glasses or uh, because you can now virtually create, as I was talking before, you know, and, and design and produce virtually instead of having to do it physically. Those things are possible, are already possible right now. Communication, I think, will require a, an extra step. Once we figure out how to really quickly see holograms, I think it will also give uh, AR glasses the reason to be immediately. That's a really kind of like face, kind of like FaceTime for for self. Yeah. It's a good point about those facial expressions. I mean, that is such an important part of communication and trying to read how others are reacting to what you're sharing with them. Are there any other limitations currently in the technology that you're excited to see move forward and become a focus for future innovation? Uh, like I think that AR glasses are the future. Anything that we can put easily in front of our eyes that allows us to have our hands free and gives us a way to not be um, physically separated from the physical world is important and very important. I think we're still a few years away from having something that is uh, uh, at the level of the functionality that we need and that has um, those simple yet very important tasks associated with that, like communication. This is an interesting question from Rashmi Kumari. How do you tackle with adverse effects of health in VR while creating gaming ideas? Is that something that's that's top of mind? The adverse effects of why you're designing, why you're creating? Uh, because if you're if you're creating a game, you don't have to be in VR. I mean, if you're creating a VR game, yes. But uh, for example, our games, you know, our designers are not are not in uh, in VR while they're doing that. So that is not a concern. If you're building something in VR, yes, you have to be in it. Um, they're certainly a lot more comfortable uh, and and easier to use. Years ago, you could have issues with nausea or those type of things that don't happen anymore unless you're building something really badly, but that, that's not the case anymore. I I still don't know, and that is more of a question of of the hardware manufacturers. What are the 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 health uh, aspects of that. Um, that is not something that I would necessarily know. I don't know if they know and if they do, I'm not sure that there is a lot of information around it. This is a great one from Marielle. How can we excite and bring older generations along for the ride and temper their resistance to these virtual worlds? Uh, I think by giving them something that they like. So, you know, they might like, uh, you know, dancing or whatever they like to do in, the, in, in their age group. Giving them the ability to do that and doing it easily uh, is, is the way to go. Uh, as simple as that. I mean, we've seen uh, Facebook go from being a, a younger uh, type of audience to an older type of audience because of different things that it can do and how that was marketed. I think it really comes down to gameplays and what actions you can perform. Uh, right now, certainly skews younger, but I think that will keep on changing. 
I think we get a little bit overwhelmed by the opportunity and the technology behind 3D worlds. And we forget that marketers and business people, the number one thing is to understand your customer and what interests them and what motivates them. And it doesn't matter what platform you're interacting with them on, that really understanding the human behind this customer is so important. And I, I think when we sort of break down the complexity of what virtual worlds are and how they're built and realize we need to interact at that human level with the people who are in them, I think it will free up some of the the nervousness that brands have to enter because this is what marketers do and we know how to do this really well. Yeah. It's it's just, you know, it's it's a new phase of, of digital environments and uh, anything that is new is a little bit more uh, you know, uh, comes with a little bit more anxiety because you haven't done it before. Uh, transition periods are always like that for everyone. But um, but there is at least an understanding of you really don't have a choice. You have to be there. You have to be there. One last quick question. This is from Aaron, and I love it. What are you most excited for? What is like in, that's coming in the future? I know this is probably not a last quick question, but I think. Uh, Mm-hmm. I think from from our standpoint, um, I'm excited about how we're leaning in ever more into specific industries that are related to what you might want to do with yourself. And I'm making it too complicated. Uh, anything that has to do really with music, with sports, with fashion, uh, we're leaning in more and more. We have a lot of different um opportunities and activities with some really exciting partners and um yeah really excited about that well we all cannot wait to see what you and epic games and unreal engine provides for us next this has been so eye-opening and exciting oh, i can talk so to you for another hour easily but we are at time and i know you are a busy woman with many more webinars to go do so thank you so much for giving us your insight today thank you for the audience this is the most questions we've ever had and they were so fantastic that is a wrap on episode 13 of view from the c suite And I look forward to seeing you next month when the conversation continues. To find out more about Wong Duty's work transforming businesses through human experience, go to wongduty.com. If you're a woman in the C-suite and would like to be a guest on this show, please reach out to me at womenleaders at wongduty.com.